Hello. Um, I guess welcome to a, another episode of The Sea Is Not Yet Full. Um, I think this is the first time that I referred to it by the name, as opposed to saying that this is untitled. Um, I don't know. At the current moment, I'm in a weird uh, position where I don't know what has been uploaded and what hasn't. Um, I guess, in a sense, because I record at a frequency that there is more episodes in reserve than, say, out there. Um, I guess thanks to the power of infinite computing, that at that point you can just have stuff, um, you know, have infinite space put stuff out there, not really take up too much room, um, so, I, so, going back to me not knowing, uh, the order of things, I remember in one of them, suggesting that at the end, um, maybe taking time out and, uh, researching, uh, Coast of Ivory, or Ivory Coast, or Cote d'Ivoire, um, So, I don't know if any one of you did that, but um, it would be at least kind of a slightly interesting experience. I don't know. um, From my watching their tour video, uh, it doesn't seem, I don't know, I guess maybe in my head, I imagine Ivory Coast to kind of be, um, I guess maybe a little bit kind of I don't know I guess run down uh, <laughs> I guess like in my head I kind of imagined that the coast of ivory really wouldn't have had like uh that many um I guess buildings or kind of structures and stuff like that. But I, I was right in my assumption that there'd be no sense of degradation on the streets in terms of how to drive. Um, like just seeing like five people within like a two to three car length like street. It's like, I don't know. It is, it is by the grace of God go I. That I do not live in such a place. Um, but, I don't know. Um, after seeing a little further, I, I guess apparently Cote d'Ivoire wants to um, create Brownville. Um, not racist. Uh, Brownville is the name of the city that they want to create. Which is supposed to basically kind of be like their Vegas. Uh, they want people to be attracted to that city. Like they're kind of make they want to make it as a united effort in terms of like kind of I don't know to demonstrate that Africans can come together and make something beautiful. Um, I don't know why the aspiration would be to kind of be like. Las Vegas, in a sense, I kind of feel maybe, um, I don't know, I, I kind of feel like those, like, tourist-type towns is not, like, a, a representation of, like, 
kind of coming together and like doing things. I kind of feel like something like, I don't know, the, the Hoover Dam or like, um, like the Transcontinental Railroad, like something that is not only impressive, but also like, like, I don't know, uh, helpful for your actual country is kind of what should be the strive. But once again, I am not a politician in Cote d'Ivoire. Um, but so anyone, I guess, that took the time out to, uh, research that, as I suggested, would have learned, I guess, these things. Um, so I I guess, um, with this, I started thinking about like, I don't know, what do you, um, I guess, talk about, um, a thing that I've tried to establish within um, other episodes, I, I guess like maybe the frustrating part about like having a podcast or stuff like that is just like, um, is there's a lot of stuff that you need to preface first before you can really get into what you want to say. Like, I don't know, I, I guess think about like when you buy a book, um, like say, I don't know, any of the million books for dummies type books out there. It's like, you really just kind of want to get to like the, the big important sections and things like that, where it's just like, oh, that's how you turn on the computer. Like, whereas like, those are kind of what you want to get to. Um, sometimes needing to learn the smaller intricacies is also as vital. So it's kind of like there's a lot of groundwork that needs to be laid before, like, we can kind of, um, I don't know, I guess, get to the bigger stuff. Um, I guess the way of thinking about it, it's like before you can have, like, your sweets, you need to have your peas and carrots. Um, so I guess in this situation, these are the peas and carrots of trying to kind of build like the, the building blocks to like the heavier topics that eventually will come down the line. Um, if I was a more organized person, there would be a structure to all these peas and carrots. But for the most part, this is basically your version of jambalaya. Um, so with that, I, I guess one of the things to kind of bring up is like, uh, thought terminating cliches and essentially a lot of that is maybe something that you don't really um notice it's kind of something that's kind of built um because we as a species and stuff like that kind of like have so many limited resources within our minds uh and also kind of in our attention span it's kind of one of those things where like if you're told one thing, your brain kind of goes, all right, got it. All right, don't even think about it any further. Ah, oh, that's poison. All right, don't even mess with it. Oh, that's, uh, I can get electrocuted. Yeah, don't even mess with it. Um, that's too expensive. I don't really need to think about it. It's like, you know, a lot of things exist out there. And if I were to say, like, I don't know, like a monster truck, it's like, in your mind, probably that's like, I don't know, ultra expensive. But then if you were research it, it's probably like, I don't know, like $400. I don't know. Neither do you. So we're both in the same position, but like, it's just the same idea of like, where, um, you have something in your mind is, 
I don't know, like you're basically kind of like set in your ways of just kind of assuming certain things are the way they are and basically kind of hearing certain phrases kind of trigger those exact same thing. So it's kind of like, um, let's say if um, you were listening to someone and they were coming up to you and it's like, it's one of those, like, you don't really know what they're getting at. And it's just kind of like, you're trying to kind of piece together, like, are they trying to sell me something? And so then at that point, like you're listening to like certain key words of like, I don't know, like enterprise or, um, this is not a scam or versus like, if it was like a religious thing or it's just like, I don't know, like divinity or stuff like that. Like you're hearing for key words just to kind of try and put these people <coughs> in a particular box. And as a result, like when you're trying to like figure out like where someone stands, it's like the minute that you hear whatever that keyword is in your mind, all right, that's where they go. That's where they are. And in a sense, like you kind of do this like with other people where it's like, oh, this person's a leftist. This person is like a, like a conservative or what have you. Or like this person is just like crazy. It's like you just, there's certain keywords that you just kind of think of in your head where it's like, this is what they need to say. And once they say this, I can dismiss them. Because in your head, in your mind, like it's not like really at fault to you. But, like, you have other things that you need to do in your day. In your day. So, it's kind of like, um, I don't know, like, imagine, like, if you have, like, a YouTube tutorial that you're, like, kind of interested in. And it's just, like, you're just kind of waiting for someone, like, you kind of are scamming the first, like, 30 seconds of the video to see if the person has the same problem that you're indicating. I don't know, like, let's say the screen doesn't turn on. And you're just kind of like, I just need to hear that you're also suffering the same thing. If not, I'm just going to back out and go to a different video. And that's kind of like the same idea. So the way this is more effective is kind of like when someone tells you like, oh, this person is a conspiracy theorist. Then at that point, like your mind automatically projects them into a box. And then at that point, because they put you put them into the box, um, depending on your proclivity to kind of either be sympathetic to... Um, uh, say people that are conspiracy minded versus those who aren't and at that point it's like you would either not listen to them or you might kind of um i don't know at least if you're like me listen kind of from afar because you also are aware that there are a little bit of nuts within the same movement so it's like you're kind of trying to figure out like which kind of conspiracy theories do they believe in do they believe in that there's no birds at that point, you know, it's kind of outright dismiss them. If they believe maybe in something like, um, I don't know, uh, Operation Gladio or Operation Ajax, then at that point, they may be a little bit more uh, receptive. Um, so it's just kind of like, it's one of those things that it's like once someone tells you, like, hey, this person is this, then at that point, you don't need to think about it. Now, like, I guess the implication of this would be to think about, like, when the media tries to tell you that someone is a racist or sexist or anti-Semitic or what have you, and it's basically, it's like you're painting someone with that label, so then that way, in the future, you just basically outright dismiss anything. Cause it's like, why would I care what you have to say? You're sexist. Why would I care what you have to say? You're racist or what have you. Like, I don't need to know the thoughts of these is-type like people. So it's like, it is... Now, I guess, like, coincide this with the idea of, like, kind of how the internet is, where it's just, like, 
the minute someone starts to kind of, um, I don't know, there's that uh, Chinese quote where it's like, uh, the nail that sticks out gets hammered first, where it's like the middle, the minute that people basically kind of start speaking a little bit too much, people just comb through their entire history of stuff that they said online and basically try and look for things to kind of like pin them down to. And then if they can't even, so that's, so this is kind of where it gets weirder is this kind of goes a little bit step further where it's like, if they kind of go through your entire history and they don't find anything of question, then at that point, they then basically go through the people that you know, because for some reason you are then responsible and you also basically have to, um, I don't know, in, in a sense, basically, uh, c- like not only consent, but also kind of subscribe to anything that you, people that you follow, uh, say. So it is, it's like, They'll, people will continue to keep looking for things until they find things to blame you over, either guilt by association or basically guilt by just like uh, misconstruing what you've said to fit any of the parameters that they are that they disagree with. And once they can basically pin you down to any of those things, then at that point, that is how they work to get you to be dismissed. Um, so it's like the the kind of overall purpose in this is in a way of like in your mind you kind of like i mean kind of going back to earlier the reason that you that your mind kind of does this is because you have a limited amount of time so it's like i don't like think about um the run-up to the 2016 election it's like there was a lot of stuff that was attributed to donald trump and in that situation, how many of those things were actually true? How many of those things were said out of context? How many of those things were said in context? Like, um, you don't yourself have the time to basically kind of parse through all these things. So then as a result, basically, you kind of are at the hand of someone that you trust. If it's either like, I don't know, a coworker a certain news anchor, a certain personality, a certain influencer, what have you, if they were to say basically these things, and at that point you trust them enough just to kind of say, all right, from there, I no longer need to think about this. Um, a, a way that this is actually kind of was used is, um, is um, what's the name of that guy? I am in the middle of researching it because I do not remember the name of the guy, even though I own his book. Edward Bernays. Um, Edward Bernays wrote a book called Propaganda. And essentially, the whole thing is, um, like, even though it's called propaganda, basically, at this point, might as well just be called, like, marketing ideas. Because a lot of what he does is just tells you, like, how to market to people um, in, like, kind of, like, really weird, in, like, ingenious ways. So, um, one of the things, um, if you're reading the book, one of the things that I kind of find fascinating is that he always basically kind of describes these projects from afar where it's like in a sense of like 
oh, this certain idea worked here. And then when you research it, you find out that he was the one that did it. But essentially, I guess like it's one of those weird things where like if he were to say that he did it, then at that point you yourself would kind of automatically dismiss it that it like the capacity to how much it worked. But when you're hearing like the the whole breakdown of like, hey, here's the problem that they had and here's the solution that they went and then here's how effective, you're like, Oh man, this works. But then when you realize it's kind of him, then maybe like he's fudging the numbers. So then it, so is kind of the the thing that's kind of fascinating about the book is if you kind of I guess going back to the 1930s and stuff like that when like the book would have came out <coughs> you wouldn't have known that all these things were basically done by him uh so a lot of it you would have been like oh these are like kind of like really good ideas that you're listening to um so one of the things that he kind of presents is um when you're trying to sell um things to people effectively um like say not mm, i guess maybe like without spending a lot of money on like uh uh marketing and things like that um what you would do is figure out who your target audience is so in, in that situation like hypothetically like if for some reason i had a million fans or subscribers then at that point, I would be the person that would then be targeted. Well, in in, in the scenario, if they were trying to target my audience, because the idea is it is cheaper to basically try and win over the influencer than basically trying to win over the entire audience. So in a sense, like if you were to go like a, a way to think about this is, um, if you wanted the people of a town or a certain church community to basically like buy a particular car, you give the pastor a good deal. So then at that point you see the pastor then basically rolling up in like a Mercedes and it's just like, Oh, well, if it's good for him, then I should also be able to afford it. So it's like, you can take a loss of like $10,000 or what have you on selling him this fancy car and then basically be a envy alone like, you then basically have all the people within uh, his community basically kind of like, all right, I'll, I'll buy that. Because it's like, I mean, what is, it, what is he going to say? Hey, I received a car that it basically is worth, like, half of what I was offered or, like, half of what I was given it. So, basically, I'm going to have a lot of favorable opinions and a lot of the negatives I'm just going to look away. So, then, as a result, like, when someone says, like, oh, like, how's this, like, car run? He's basically going to be, like, fantastic. And then at that point, because you trust him, he's then basically, like, going to be, like, influence your mind into considering, like, buying that type of car. And especially since you're going to see him not only drive that car weekly, but then also kind of more than likely talk about it because he's enthused. So it is one of those ways where, like, if you're trying to, win someone over basically you don't win the person that you want directly you win someone that they rely uh, that they rely on and they trust so in, in that situation kind of going back to this whole thing it's like if you want people to kind of dismiss a lot of ideas you go to the influencers and stuff like that and just kind of basically say like hey um this person more than likely crazy then at that point, they'll then basically parrot the exact same talking points. And then at that point, it, you then basically hear it. 
and unbeknownst to you, you then basically trust them. And then in your mind, you only have so much time to listen to it. And it's like, so what do you do in that situation? Unless you basically were to take out the time of day and write down every potential thing that you heard that you yourself are not 100% sure on, and then basically write down on a piece of paper and then go home and then basically make your own opinion, uh, A, you'll seem crazy to whoever knows you because at that point you outright just basically are dismissing everything you're absorbing. But then, like, B, you're, you're losing time that you can basically effectively have just basically be dismissed things as reliable, not reliable, and just false. And so to kind of go back to this idea is um, when you hear certain things, think about the moment that your brain stops thinking further like think about why you basically are like like what are those key words that like they that come to your mind and either perk your interest to either continue listening or perk your interest in a way to just say no this person's insane and think about why those key words were influenced in your mind and then at that point maybe either try to figure out eat like, are these actually reliable, like, phrases and stuff like that that I should um, maybe reconsider? Um, I don't know. Like, I guess, like, in a sense where it's, like, think about, like, when you're young, in a sense, where it's, like, if someone were to say, like, hey, uh, these peas and carrots are inside of every other meal, you, know, you as a kid probably just went, meh, and then at that point said no. But then now you as an adult, maybe now after you kind of audit and have developed a more mature palate, can basically be like, all right, peas and carrots are not that bad. I mean, they're not sweets, but I mean, I basically know that if I don't want to die at the age of 40, I should probably eat vegetables. So, um, just, I guess, something to consider. Um... In the first episode, we kind of basically delved a little bit on that idea, um, mainly kind of trying to explain conspiracy and conspiracy theories. And in that situation, it was mainly because, like, the it, I mean, it is not that hard to research that, like, the CIA basically implanted the idea that people that were conspiracy theories are crazy. But it is one of those things that when you study the CIA, there is no way to not come away with believing in conspiracy theories in general. The amount of terrible things that this organization has done is baffling, but the fact that it has not been shut down in any form or reprimanded publicly for, like, the audacity of most of their crimes is insane. Um, a book I would recommend is uh, Killing Hope. Um, it is about 500 pages long and basically kind of outlines a lot of the stuff that the CIA has done over the years. Um, with that, I should also kind of preface now, I am of sound mind and I have had no suicidal thoughts or suicidal ideations. And I am a completely um, content person without any form of depression or taking any form of weird medication. And I am 
Okay. So if I were to hypothetically die, it would be suspicious. So repeat after me. Suspicious. Um, a thing that I kind of um, wanted to, um, I guess maybe, I don't know, I guess this is more like a hypothetical type thing. I don't know if it's hypothetical, but it is, um, for me, uh, kind of going back to the whole like optimistic, like pessimistic, like those type of things, it's like, I, I think on, on the idea of like the Tower of Babel as kind of like this, as a good example of like humanity as a whole, and also kind of like why I don't believe in world peace. Uh, I'm not trying to say like just because of a Bible story that it's like the idea that I don't believe in world peace, but it's more in a sense of like, in any situation where there is a large swell of people coming together for one united cause, I am already suspicious of it. Um, I imagine there would be a lot of people that are misguided. I imagine there would be a lot of people that are trying to take financial, um, I, I guess financially advantage over people. Um, I imagine that there's just a lot of disreputable people trying to um, build up this kind of monolith. Um, I, I guess maybe a, a, I don't know, a thing to consider would be like, in order to have a culture, you also need a cult. You have a series of monolithic ideas that it probably will end to a disastrous result. Um, now, this could just be because I am more of a pessimist more than most people, but in most situations when a lot of people believe in a very consistent idea, I'm not to... Uh, kind of going back to like what I said a few weeks ago, I'm sure there's going to be some dumb Momo who is going to say like, oh, what about gravity? That's not what I'm referring to. I'm kind of referring to things like Coney 2012 or um, let's say um, those, uh, the, I mean, I guess even the 2012 conspiracy that the world was going to die or say, um, let's see, I don't know. I guess like a lot of different scams that exist either within the internet or even like just in person. And I don't know. I, I mean, to be blunt, I would say global warming. And if you would like to argue about the aspects of global warming, I would say, why is there such a financial incentive to tax people on an action? That's not going to basically stop an action from occurring. That is just basically going to say that I will continue to say to do such action and then pay my taxes 
and then basically you don't bother me, but then you bother everyone else as well. Uh, like this entire concept of carbon credits and things like that is just basically just, um, I don't know how to explain it. Uh, think about when you go into a supermarket or a Seven uh, Eleven or anything like that, and then you see all those cards that basically are there on the side of like the the merchandise table, and it's just like, oh, four hundred like Microsoft points. All right, or like here's like a bunch of points for Roblox, and oh, here's like a bunch of um, points for, I don't know, Nexion. I, I'm, I don't even know if that's a thing, but just let's, hypothetically, you can easily imagine all these rows of cards. But what happens when you buy these things? You are buying something within a network, or, or like, not network, but like, say, an organization. And that money, you basically exchange real-world money for hypothetical fake money in an organization. So then at that point, you can't take any of that money out. And then basically they already have your money. And that is to me the equivalent of the whole carbon credit and carbon taxing. It is that you're basically putting money in to this entire system and basically saying, oh, I can basically just put enough money in. And then at that point, I then have a carbon credit and then I can do a lot of terrible things in the process. Like, I'll just pollute half of the planet, but I have enough carbon credit that basically can offset my sins. So, that's fine. So, it's like, like, I don't know. Think about, like, Amazon or something like that. Like, basically, like, where the mil- uh, the, the, the owner of the company basically makes, like, a billion dollars a second. So, in that situation, you're saying that you have an entire system that is going to charge him a carbon tax for basically like any of the 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 uh what do you call it um gas emissions and things like that it's like why would that matter to him basically you're you're going to tax him a fraction of whatever he's making every second and to him he can basically live like without any sense of concern and and it's like but at the same time what happens to say the other person who can't afford that like, let's say if you were to start up your own small, like, I don't know, delivery business, you, on the other hand, get taxed to death. And then what happens? You have to close up shop. And then who takes over? Walmart and Amazon. So once again, kind of going back, the people that are pushing for these type of things do not have your best interest in mind. So it's like, it, I, I don't even know why I'm spending the, these, like, 10 minutes just arguing with this like hypothetical person is going to argue with me about like global warming but it's like you can speak forever on the idea that there is like let's say like sea level changes and what have you but i am only referring to the idea that the people that are giving you um supposed ideas on how to solve it are not giving you ideas on how to solve it but are giving you ideas on how to make money. They are the Xbox points. They are the Nexion points, the Roblox points. These people are scammers and grifters that are basically leeching on to whatever things that you care about. And 
that to me is once again where it's like if there's things that are catastrophic and terrible for this planet the people that will rise to the top are always going to usurp it and turn it into something that benefits them so in that situation i think about the tower of babylon where it's a, a bunch of people united for one cause and then basically in the end get torn asunder so i mean with that i don't know, be skeptical of those you listen to and then also remember to like and subscribe to this podcast um and also my uh twitter account uh nsa underscore mod and let's see uh what other um uh, things um not spooky not underscore spooky um and then also to remember to uh email us i believe it is no spooks allowed pod at gmail.com um all right so i mean at this point that's kind of most of the end of the show um but uh, i kind of have like maybe just two things to mention would be um based on the uh episode before um the me and uh not spooky just kind of talking about uh destroyed by design uh i wrote to alex jones just kind of a standard email uh we don't know if he'll reply um but basically a lot of it was just kind of saying hey what did you think of the movie that you made 20 years later um hopefully he does that'd be kind of cool if not i mean i'm not gonna hold it against him he's a busy person um but i mean i I guess that to me is something that i um want to kind of do going forward is um maybe trying to reach out to certain people that we are communicating about um just to see if they have any thoughts they'd like to share i don't know um and i guess let's see um another country that maybe we could do and then i guess maybe we'll come back to this in like two weeks or whatever i remember um so you're looking through all these these are all written in english it is weird that Cote d'Ivoire, for some reason, would be intentionally re- like written in French. Um, maybe Rand McNally slept the wheel. Um, but, let's see. Um, I don't know. I kept skipping it, but I kind of figured, like, I went not. Uh, Botswana. Um... Well, I don't know. I guess because we're already... uh, Maybe leave Africa and go somewhere else. Um, Uruguay. No one lives in Uruguay. Alright, so... um, I guess uh, at one point, take the time and look up Uruguay, and then just kind of watch videos about them and just kind of learn. Uh, learn about the world around you. Um, I imagine just Uruguay, I have never met any person in my entire life 
that is from Uruguay. I have met people from remote parts of Africa. I have met people from weird parts of like Asia. I have met people from, I don't know, almost all the European like countries. I have never met someone from Uruguay. I, I don't think that they are an actual people. Um, like, um, I'm looking at like, I'm just kind of combing through these, like this entire thing. And it's just like, all right, like I know people from New Zealand. I know people from Australia. I know people from Papua New Guinea. Oh, this is also me looking at the South, like, um, Eastern part of this map. And it's just like, I know people from Indonesia. Like I've met people from Vietnam. I've met people from Cambodia, Thailand. It's like, I've met people from like Iraq, I, Syria, Turkey. Um, what's that other country on the opposite end? Uh, Greek, Italians. It's like never a Uruguayan. Um, in fact, even like when, when it comes to that continent itself, it's like, I, I've met people from Argentina. I've met people from Brazil. I've met people from Bolivia, Peru, Ecuador, Venezuela, Colombia, um, Guyana. It's like never Uruguay. I mean, I feel that I've maybe met someone from Paraguay, but never Uruguay. I am very skeptical of the idea that there is anyone actually from Uruguay. So, um, let's, let's all collectively investigate the mystery of Uruguay. Um, so, uh, I guess with that, um, I will call it a night. Um, I'm not saying, I'm just saying. This is the 
after show. Um, you're not supposed to tell anyone that it exists. It's, uh, imagine if you um, dozed off during the interlude. And uh, I woke up in an island that you were not aware of, and this is where you are. Um, so, once again, like these uh, things are recorded at such a weird um, interval. So, I guess when you're listening to this now, um, episode four should have already been out there, where we discussed... Uh, the Wu flu, and so I guess we would just finish recording that like, I don't know, maybe an hour or so ago, and uh, I'm pulling up my iPad because to pull up the, the book, and I see on Twitter, um, there's a video of someone who has the uh, thars basically like on a gurney just like violently shaking and it's just like Jesus Christ um so oh, things are getting better I guess um I didn't really realize that uh redesigning or I guess actually not even redesigning but like actually creating a logo would uh, take as long as it has. I don't know, for some reason, this entire experience has been like three hours for me. Um, so, I don't know, with that, um, hopefully someone enjoyed the previous reading, or else, um, you being here now makes no sense. So, where we left off, um, basically, he talked about feelings of inferiority. So now, where we left off at is over-socialization. Um, I'm going to keep going until we, uh, I guess, reach sources of social problems. Um, I don't know, as I mentioned, these these paragraphs are all numbered, so I kind of, um, I don't feel like taking the time to mention each paragraph, just mainly because I feel like it's not going to be helpful, but yeah. If you want to, you can always look up the book yourself, and then at that point, you can enjoy looking at each numbered paragraph. Um... Psychologists use the term socialization to designate the process by which children are trained to think and act as society demands. A person is said to be well socialized if he believes in and obeys the moral code of his society and fits well, uh, fits in well as functioning part of the society. It may seem senseless to say that many leftists are over-socialized since the leftist is perceived as a rebel. Nevertheless, the position can be defended. Many leftists are not such rebels as they seem. 
the moral code of our society is so demanding that no one can think, feel, and act in a completely moral way. For example, we're not supposed to hate anyone, yet almost everyone hates somebody at some point or another, whether he admits it to himself or not. Some people are so highly socialized that the attempt to think, feel, and act morally imposes a severe burden on them. In order to avoid feeling feelings of guilt, they continually have to deceive themselves about their own motives and find moral explanation for feelings and actions that in reality have a non-moral origin. We use the term over-socialized to describe such people. Over-socialization can lead to low self-esteem, a sense of powerlessness, defeatism, guilt, etc., one of the most important means by which our society socializes children is by making them feel ashamed of behavior or speech that is contrary to society's expectation. If this is overdone, or if a particular child is especially susceptible to such feelings, he ends up by, by feeling ashamed of himself. Moreover, the thought and the behavior of over-socialization... Over over-socialized person are more restricted by society's expectation than are those of the lightly socialized person. The majority of people engage in a significant amount of naughty behavior. They lie, they commit petty theft, they break traffic laws, they goof off at work, they hate someone, they say spiteful things, or they use underhanded tricks to get ahead of the other guy. Over-socialized person cannot do these things, or if they, if he does do them, he generates in himself a sense of shame and self-hatred. The over-socialized person cannot even experience without guilt thought or feelings that are contrary to the accepted morality. He cannot think unclean thoughts, and uns and socialization is not just a matter of morality. We are socialized to conform to many norms of behavior that do not fall under the heading of morality. Thus, the over-socialized person is kept on a psychological leash and spends his life running on rails that society has laid down for him. In many over-socialized people, this results in a sense of constraint and powerlessness that can be, severe, that can be a severe hardship. We suggest that over-socialization is among the most serious cruelties that human beings inflict on one another. We argue that a very important influential segment of the modern left is over-socialized and that over-socialization is of great importance in determining the direction of modern leftism. Leftists of the over-socialized type tend to be intellectuals or member of the upper middle class. Notice that university intellectuals constitute the most highly socialized segment of our society and also the most left-wing segments. The leftist of the over-socialized types tries to get off his psychological leash and assert autonomy by rebelling, but, he, but usually he is not strong enough to rebel against the most basic value of society. Generally speaking, the goal of today's leftists are not in conflict with the accepted morality. On the contrary, 
the left takes an accepted moral principle, adopts it as his own, and then accuses mainstream society of violating that principle. Example, racial equality, equality of the sexes, helping poor people, peace as opposed to war, nonviolence generally, freedom of expression, kindness to animals. More fundamentally, the duty of individuals to serve society and the duty of society to take care of the individual. All these have been deeply rooted values of our society, or at least in of its middle and upper class, for a long time. These values are explicitly or implicitly expressed or presupposed in the most material in most of the material presented to us by the mainstream communication media and the educational system. Leftists, especially those of the over-socialized type, usually do not rebel against the principles, but justify their hostility to society by claiming, with some degree of truth, that society is not living up to these principles. Here is an illustration of the way in which the over-socialized leftist shows his real attachment to the conventional attitude of our society while pretending to be in rebellion against it. Many leftists push for affirmative actions, for moving black people into high prestige jobs, for... Sorry, this kind of like moved in a weird way. Um, For improved education in black schools and more money for such schools. The way of life of the black underclass they regard as a social disgrace. They want to integrate the black man into the system Make him a business executive, a lawyer, a scientist, just like upper-class middle whites people. The leftists will reply that the last thing they want is to make the black man into a copy of the white man. Instead, they want to preserve African-American culture. But in what does this preservation of African-American culture consist? It can hardly consist in anything more than eating black-style food, listening to black-style music, wearing black-style clothing, and going to a black-style church or mosque. In other words, it can express itself only in superficial matters. In all essential respects, most leftists of the over-socialized type want to make the black man conform to white middle-class ideals. They want to make him study technical subjects, become an executive or a scientist, spend his life climbing the status ladder to prove that black people are as good as whites. They want to make black fathers responsible. They want black gangs to become nonviolent. But these are the exact values of the industrial technological system. The system couldn't care less what kind of music a man listens to, what kind of clothes he wears, or what religion he believes in, as long as he studies in school hold a respectable job, climb the status ladder, is a responsible parent, is nonviolent, and so forth. In effect, however, much he may deny it, the over-socialized leftist wants to integrate the black man into the system and make him adopt its values. We certainly do not claim the leftists, even of the over-socialized type, never rebel against the fundamental values of our society clearly they do sometimes some 
one of modern society's most important principles by engaging in physical uh, some over socialized leftists have gone so far as to rebel against one of modern society's most uh, important principle by engaging in physical violence by their own account violence is a form for them of liberation in other words by committing violence they break through the psychological restraints that have been trained into them because they are over socialized these restraints have been more confining for them than others hence their need to break free of them but they usually justify their rebellion in terms of mainstream values if they engage in violence they claim to be fighting against racism or the like we realize that many objections could be raised to the foregoing thumbnail sketch of leftist apology psychology the real situation is complex and anything like a complete description of it would take several volumes even if the necessary data were available we claim only to have indicated very roughly the two most important tendencies in the psychology of modern leftism the problem of leftists are indicative of problems of our society as a whole low self-esteem depressive tendencies and defeatism are not restricted to the left though they are noticeable in the left they are widespread in our society and today society tries to socialize us to a greater extent than any previous society we are even told by experts how to eat how to exercise how to make love how to raise our kids and so forth the power process humans being well human beings have a need probably based in a biology for something that we will call the power process this is closely related to the need for power which is widely recognized but is not meant but is not quite the same thing the power process has four elements the three most clear cut of these we call goal effort and attainment of goal everyone needs to have goals who whose attainment requires effort and need to succeed in attaining at least some of his goals the fourth element is more difficult to define and may not be necessary for everyone we call it autonomy and we will discuss this later paragraphs 42 and 44 we're currently on 33 consider the hypothetical case of a man who can have anything he wants just by wishing for it such a man has power but he would develop a serious psychological problem at first he will have a lot of fun but by and by he will become acutely bored and demoralized eventually he may become clinically depressed history shows that leisured aristocracies tend to become decadent this is not true of fighting aristocracies that have to struggle to maintain their power but leisured secure aristocracies that have no need to exert themselves usually become bored hedonistic and demoralized even though they have power this shows that the power is not enough one must have goals toward one must have goals toward which to exercise one's power everyone has goals if nothing else to obtain the physical necessity of life food 
water, and whatever clothing and shelter are made necessary by the climate. But the leisured aristocrat obtains these things without effort. Hence his boredom and demoralization. Non-attainment of this of important goals results in death if the goals are physical necessities and in frustration if non-attainment of the goals is compatible with survival. Consistent failure to attain goals throughout life results in defeatism, low self-esteem, or depression. Thus, in order to avoid serious psychological problems, a human being needs goals whose attainment requires effort. He must have a reasonable rate of success in attaining his goals. Surrogate Activities But not every leisured aristocrat becomes bored and demoralized. For example, the Emperor Hirohito, instead of sinking into decadent hedonism, devoted himself to marine biology, a field which he became distinguished. When people do not exert themselves to satisfy their physical needs, they often set up artificial goals for themselves. In many cases, they then pursue these goals with the same energy and emotional involvement that they otherwise would put into search for physical necessities. Thus, the aristocrats of the Roman Empire had their literary pretension. Many European aristocrats a few centuries ago invested a tremendous time and energy in hunting. Though they certainly did not need the meat, other aristocracies have completed for status through elaborate displays of wealth, and a few aristocrats, like Hirohito, have turned to science. We use the term surrogate activity to designate an activity that is directed towards an artificial goal that people set up for themselves merely in order to have some goal to work towards, or let us say, merely for the sake. So, uh, on this, this says cake, which I'm assuming they meant sake, uh, merely for the sake of the fulfillment that they get from pursuing the goal. Here is a rule of thumb for identification of surrogate activities. Given a person who devotes much time and energy to pursuit of goal X, ask yourself this. If he had devoted most of his time and energy to satisfying his biological needs, and if that effort required him to use physical and mental faculties in a varied and interesting way, would he seriously would he feel seriously deprived because he did not attain goal X? If the answer is no, then the person then the person's pursuit of goal X is a surrogate activity. Hirohito's studies in marine biology constituted a surrogate activity, since it's pretty certain that if Hirohito had to, had, had to spend his time working at a interesting non scientific task in or in order to obtain this necessity of life, he would not have felt the prime because he did not know all about the anatomy and life cycles of the marine animals. On the other hand, the pursuit of sex and love, for example, is not a surrogate activity because most people, even if their existence were otherwise satisfactory, would feel deprived if they passed their lives without ever having a relationship with a member of the opposite, opposite sex. Uh, but pursuit of an excessive amount of sex more than one really needs, can be a surrogate activity. In modern industrial societies, only minimal effort is necessary to satisfy one's physical needs. 
it is enough to go through a training program to acquire some petty technical skill and then come on come to work on time and exert the modest effort needed to hold a job the only requirement are a moderate amount of intelligence and most of all simple obedience if one has those society takes care of one from cradle to the grave yes there is an underclass that cannot take the physical necessities for granted but we're speaking here of mainstream society thus it is not surprising that the modern society is full of surrogate activities these include scientific work athletic achievement humanitarian work artistic and literary creation and climbing the corporate ladder acquisition of money and material goods far beyond the point at which they cease to give any additional of uh, any additional physical satisfaction and social activism when it addresses issues that are not important for the activist personally as in the case of white activists who work for the for the rights of non-white minority minorities these are not always pure surrogate activities since for many people they may be motivated in part by needs others than the need to have some goal to pursue scientific work may be motivated in part by a drive for prestige artistic creation by a need to express feelings militant social activism by hostility but for most people who pursue them these activities are in large part surrogate activities for example the majority of scientists will probably agree that the fulfillment they get from their work is more important than the money and prestige they earn for many if not most surrogate activities are less satisfying than the pursuit of real goals that is goals that people would want to attain even if their needs for power process were already fulfilled one indication of this is a fact that in many or most cases people who are deeply involved in surrogate activities are never satisfied and never at rest thus the money maker constantly strives for more and more wealth the scientist no sooner solves one problem than he moves on to the next the long distance runner drives himself to run always farther and faster many people who pursue surrogate activities will say that they get far more fulfillment from these activities than they do from the mundane business of a satisfying their biological needs but that is because in our society the effort needed to satisfy the biological needs has been reduced to triviality more importantly in our society people do not satisfy their biological needs autonomously but by functioning as part of an immense immense social machine in contrast people generally have a great deal of autonomy in pursuing their surrogate activities um all right so we're coming towards the end this is uh paragraph 42 and it ends on 44 which at that point we would end then end this autonomy autonomy as a power as well Autonomy as a part of the power process may not be necessary for every individual. 
but most people need a greater or lesser degree of autonomy in working towards their goal. Their effort must be undertaken on their own initiative and must be under their own direction and control. Yet, most people do not have to exert this initiative, direction, and control as a single individual. It is usually enough to act as a member of a small group. Thus, if half a dozen people discuss a goal among themselves and make a successful joint effort to attain that goal, their need for the, for the, pro, for the power process will be served. But if they work under rigid order, handed down from above, that leaves them no room for autonomous decision and initiative, then their need for the power process will not be served. The same is true when decisions are made on a collective basis if the group making the collective decision is so large that the role of each individual is insignificant. It is true that some individuals seem to have little need for autonomy. Either their drive for power is weak or they satisfy it by identifying themselves with some powerful organization to which they belong. And then there are unthinking animal types who seem to be satisfied with purely physical sense of power. The good combat soldier who gets his sense of power by developing fighting skills that he is quite content to use in blind obedience to his superiors. But for most people, it is true that the power process, having a goal, making an autonomous effort, and attaining the goal, that self-esteem, self-confidence, and a sense of power are acquired. When one does not have adequate opportunities to go through the power process, the consequences are, depending on the individual and on the way the power process is disrupted, boredom, demoralization, low self-esteem, inferiority feelings, defeatism, depression, anxiety, guilt, frustration, hostility, spouse or child abuse, insatiable hedonism, abnormal sexual behavior, sleep disorder, eating disorder, etc., um all right well i mean at this point we are on um the beginning of page six out of 34 um so we still have quite a ways to go um we're like barely like at 10 percent or something well I still don't really find myself disagreeing at any point with anything written. Um, I think it's interesting. I, um, I don't know. I, I guess the idea of over-socialization is not something that would have at least been apparent to me, but it does kind of make sense. Um, a lot of... I don't know, I guess, like, we're told to basically kind of conform to a lot of um, things within our society, and then at that point, it's kind of like, um, I guess maybe a a reductionist way is um, uh, Christina Hoff Summers has a book called The The War Against Boys, 
where she kind of basically talks about how like schools are made or like centered around like girls um where girls are like the ideal student um that whereas like girls tend to be a little bit more submissive and they tend to be more quiet and things like that that the more like rebellious and loud type boys like their uh physical um just kind of like their hyperactiveness their they want for like kind of more violent type of um i don't know recreation is kind of seen as a detriment and then basically the schools try to actively like uh go after that and trying to suppress it as much as possible and i guess in a sense you can kind of view that as some as the same idea as like over socialization where it's like um, they, they're wanting to basically codify a series of way of, um, being and thinking. Um, I don't know, I guess for me, the, the part about like, you're told not to hate everyone, but like intrinsically everyone hates someone. And I, 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 that, I guess to me that kind of. Uh, I don't want to say like spoke to me, but I want to say that kind of um, it's made me think about some ideas that I've had before. Um, I I don't know. Um, in, in the past, I've mentioned Bill Whittle in terms of when we were talking about uh, critical theory. Um, I don't know many stuff that Bill Whittle has done. I do know the stuff that I have seen from him. I have liked. Um, but, like, Bill Whittle has a section um, where he talks about the amygdala. And, essentially, the amygdala is the part of your brain that tells you, like, hey, I don't feel right here. I should probably leave. And um, when that part triggers, it's, like, it's basically triggers your, like, whole, like, uh, fight-or-flight response system. And the the weird issue is that society basically has been kind of training you for a long time to, like, think the other way um it's like when you see someone and they seem suspicious society wants you to basically give them the benefit of the doubt whereas in reality uh you should probably maybe either try to like arm yourself or like not like pull out a weapon but mainly like kind of protect yourself and kind of be more vigilant and it seems more like society is trying to make everyone more and more docile as opposed to vigilant. And then at that point, kind of, I don't know, I, I guess you could say like a series of weird things kind of have started to occur from that. Whereas like uh, a, um, a, a weird ground to kind of go about will be like, kind of when people are trying to move the um idea that women should protect themselves 
and by saying like no well men should be uh basically like keep their hands to themselves and stuff like that as if that's going to stop like insane people like there's always going to be a series of people that do not conform to the rules of society so like intrinsically you should basically uh, there's a lot of uh, well, uh, that sentence is terrible, but uh, but for the most part, you should be more vigilant and kind of be prepared for anything, instead of kind of hoping that instead the attackers kind of would learn to be, I don't know, better. It's uh, I guess I think about it like where if you were to go to a place that has like a um like a no gun policy it's like okay like you know that everyone in there doesn't have a gun for the most part but it only takes one person to defy the rule to at that point basically lead to a massacre and it's not like putting up a sign is going to stop someone that's insane from going in and doing what they're going to do so uh, i kind of view it the same way where it's like um not only like kind of that women should also like defend themselves but it's like hey like women also get attacked by other women and it's like um there's a documentary like uh she stole my voice or um something like that it's like um she stole i think it's she stole my voice um but the whole thing is about like within like lesbian relationships that like the amount of abuse that goes on is way higher than even within heterosexual couples whereas just that like uh, it's not even just about saying, like, oh, the men should, like, keep their hands to themselves. It's like, like, women are equally as violent towards women as they can be. So it's like, you can't just defend and just kind of, like, uh, I don't know, I guess, I guess keep to the idea that, like, by having expectation on the other that things will then get better. When in reality, you should take some sense of ownership and basically be willing to um, defend yourself as much as possible and also kind of not trust people. Like, a lot of people do not have their, like, your best interests at mind. Even people that genuinely like you or uh, who don't hate you would still have their own agenda ahead of yours. Like, in the end, you're going to basically have to consider that you, you're, you can only reach out, like, you can only care about number one being yourself. And it's like, don't have the expectation that someone else won't um, abuse you in some form or fashion, either being either because you imagine the your blood relatives, friends, or just because society deems it such. Because all three of those are easily willing to defy expectations and defy said social norms. Um, so, yeah. Uh, as I said, like I do think this is interesting. Um, I... I'm still kind of curious as to when 
he jumps the shark in a way. I almost kind of don't see it happening, but we're only six pages in, so there's still a lot more that he can go through. Um, I guess with this, I will take my leave and, uh, I guess maybe end out with like, uh, all rivers flow to the sea, but the sea is not yet full or so I've been led to believe. <laughs>